featured speaker, we have the honor of having Max Barnett, the director of our Baptist Student Union. He's been with us for about, I guess, 16 years, or a little bit more, a little bit less. He is a graduate of the Southwestern Seminary and Masters of, Masters of Divinity. He has uh, got a wife named Sandra and a son named Brent. And uh, let's just make him make his welcome for very warm. Well, there's nothing like starting off a year with a Mickey Mouse Vespers, is it? <laughs> now, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, let me encourage you to bring them week by week. One of the things that we do use from time to time is our Bibles. And I hope you will uh, plan on bringing your Bibles, uh, because uh, we do think the Bible is important around here. And so we'd like for you to bring that with you to Vespers. And if you have it, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. Paul is writing and he says, For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, you know the word no here. No man can lay a foundation. That is, no one can lay a foundation that amounts to anything. A foundation that will stand. There is no foundation apart from Jesus Christ. Now, if I could get anything over to you tonight, any one thing I'd like to get over to you tonight, and especially those of you that are new, you've never been to the BSU, that I don't care what you build your life on, if you do not build your life on Jesus Christ, you will waste it. There is no foundation you can possibly build your life on that will stand. There's only one, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, this is not an idea that I sat down this afternoon and thought up. It's written in the Word of God, and it is very, very plain. No man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, let me share with you just briefly. You know what are some of the foundations that people lay? There are a number of foundations that you're going to see while you're in a university that people are going to try to build their lives on. Now, it may appear that they will stand that that foundation will hold up the house of their life. And you may not be around when it begins to crack, but it will crack, and eventually it will collapse. But let me tell you what some of those foundations are. <clears throat> now, back in Jeremiah's day, he listed them. And it's amazing that he listed them so clearly back in his day, and they're, they're so true even today. And in Jeremiah 9.23... He says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Now, the first thing you're going to see, and especially at the university, that students will try to build their lives on, they'll try to build their lives on knowledge or wisdom. Now, I want you to understand something very, very clearly. Christianity is not in any way anti-intellectual. God wants you to learn. God is all an all-knowing God. You're not going to learn anything this year that's going to surprise God. 
I mean, God is not going to look down from heaven someday and say to one of his angels, hey, look what they're learning down there at the University of Oklahoma. I didn't know that. <laughs> now, I don't know all that goes up on, on up in heaven, but I'll guarantee you one thing, that will never be said. Because God is an all-knowing God. And because God is an all-knowing God, God knows everything. And one of the reasons you have a desire for knowledge is because you are like God. God made you in His own image, in His own likeness. And because God knows everything, now God doesn't have to learn. He already knows, but you do have to learn. And as a result of that, God has made you with a craving for knowledge, to learn. That's fine. That's good. That's why you want to learn. And so don't you ever get the impression that Christianity is in any way anti-intellectual, because it is not. If you do not learn... In that area, as you do not seek knowledge, you are not being what God intended for you to be. And so it's right for you to grow and for you to learn. But let me tell you, you must have some safeguards on that knowledge. How do you know it's true? You're going to be told things, I promise you. Some of you already have, and you haven't even finished out a week yet. Some of you have already been told things that are not true. I mean, in time will prove they're not true. Now, how are you going to know if something's true or false? Because whoever is giving out that information, I'll assure you, has been in school a lot longer than you have. But we all know people that graduated that aren't all that smart, right? I mean, University of Oklahoma tell, turns out people every year that are educated far beyond their intelligence. <laughs> and just the fact that somebody tells you that, that has a PhD, doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And so you're going to have to you're going to have to have some safeguards. How do you know something's true? Now, there's some things that you you may be told, and you'll be told a lot of things that are true. But there's some things that you'll be told, and you won't know whether they're true or not, and some of them won't make a whole lot of difference. But there'll be some things that'll make a great deal of difference. And what kind of guideline are you going to have as to where something's really true or not? Now, <clears throat> let me read you something. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. And you can just listen. The writer said, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that had been done under heaven. And he goes on through this passage and says, And I set my mind to know wisdom. I set my mind to know, because in much wisdom there is much grief. Now, <clears throat> you know, Solomon... Uh, is writing here, and Solomon's one of the, wise, the wisest men the Bible says that ever lived. And so he decided that he would set his mind on wisdom, to know wisdom, to know uh, knowledge. And yet he said, after I saw it and I learned, he said, I found out that's not where it is, folks. Those are things, but they're not a foundation for your life. And so you're going to see a lot of people that are going to have as a foundation of their life knowledge. And uh, they're going to use their knowledge to judge everything. For example, they'll use their brain, their mind, and they'll pick things from the Bible they like. And what they don't like, they'll discard. And ultimately, they're going to make their own brain the foundation for their life. How do you determine what's true and what isn't? What you like, you believe, 
What you don't like, you discard. Now, what's the foundation for your life when you do that? It's your own brain. Now, let me tell you, folks, that is not a foundation. And the Bible says very, very clearly, that will not get it. Now, Eve in the Scriptures had the very same desire you have. Eve wanted to know. And in Genesis chapter 3, one day she is having a conversation with a serpent. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, it's interesting to see. One of the first things Satan does, he begins to raise a question. Has God said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it or touch it lest you die. And Satan said to the woman, You shall not surely die. And you'll find that that's a very consistent pattern with Satan. He'll begin to raise questions and then over a period of time there'll be areas in which you begin to have those questions and over period of time, you'll, there'll be areas in which you thought you knew something before and Satan will come along and say, no, that isn't true at all. And you'll find him beginning to contradict the Word of God. And then in verse 5, he said, Satan said, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, Eve had a desire to know. She wanted to know things. That is not wrong in itself. But God said, now there's one tree I don't want you to eat of. Because when you do, you're going to know certain things and certain things I don't want you to know about. And and young people, I want to tell you one thing. In all your search for knowledge, there's some areas in which God wants you to be a total ignoramus. Do you know that? God does not... He wants you to be ignorant concerning evil. And there'll be some people this year say, well, you ever been drunk? How do you expect to ever minister to people who are drunks if you've never been drunk? Now, that's stupid. I mean, when you really think of it, it's it's pretty stupid. It's kind of like I see Brother Travis back here. He's a pastor. And, you know, I I wonder if he's ever ministered to anybody that's been hit by a truck. (laughs) Well, he probably has. But would you go to him and say, well, Travis, if you've never been run over by a truck, how do you expect to help people been hit by trucks? I mean, it makes about as much sense, right? Young people, it is amazing what we buy and swallow wholesale that we never think about. And see, when God gave you a brain, He put it there for a purpose. It's not just to hold your hair. <laughs> it's to use. And God wants you to use it, and He wants you to grapple with things. But he, he, he does not want you to have any knowledge of evil. No experiential knowledge of evil. And there are going to be people this year, couples on this campus, and they're going to be, want to become involved sexually because they want to know just, well, if we got married, we want to know if everything would go all right. Well, let me tell you, folks, if plumbing works, it'll be okay. You do not have to experience evil. You never have to participate in evil to gain knowledge. Never. 
And see, God said, now there's some things I don't want you to eat of this tree because when you do, you're going to know some things. Not only good, but you're going to know evil. I don't want you to know evil. You take my word for it. Don't do it. It's bad. Don't do it. You don't have to experience that. But there are going to be many, many people, and you'll see them on this campus, and because they want to have a knowledge of evil, they'll mess around with that, and that's no foundation on which to build your life. So don't mess with evil. You don't need any knowledge of that. You've never been drunk? Fine. Let me tell you, let me promise you one thing. You'll never become an alcoholic. You never will. And some of you fellows here in the fraternity and sorority, not only that, but students in the dorms, before this year is over, you'll be having a problem with that. Because you'll, you'll taste it. And you know, I sat and watched TV the other night and they talk about, and you've seen some of those same ads about this, we've, we've got this disease that's among us and it's called alcoholism. And you know, somewhere or other in some homes, that just, some night a guy's just sitting there and it creeps under the windowsill and just pounces upon him. Psst. The disease of alcohol. Now, you know, it's really interesting. Now, most people never thought about this, but I've never met a man who's ever had that disease that didn't, use, that didn't drink alcohol. I mean, alcoholism starts because people drink. I mean, it's not born in your genes. Don't you believe that? Because if so, God wouldn't hold you accountable because you didn't necessarily select your genes, did you? You sure didn't. So don't believe the lies and they're all around us. So don't you believe that. Now you watch that one because in a university setting, so many people are going to build their lives on what they think they know. And you know the amazing thing is there are going to be a lot of freshmen here who think they're a whole lot smarter than God. And God said, you go down that path and it's a blind alley. But they're going to go down there and beat their head on that wall to find out. And God's already said, I don't want you to do that. And if you won't do that, you're going to turn out all right. But you go down that alley, that is a blind alley. I don't want you to have any knowledge of evil. Don't build your lives, folks, on your knowledge. You know, it's interesting, too, for some of you that may not understand much about the history of the universities. But the early universities in this country were built as a result of Christians. Harvard, Yale, all of those were Christian institutions. Now, they're about as far from it as you could get today in a lot of ways. But it was a result of the Christian revivals that, that swept through this country and parents who wanted their children to grow up and have a good life and they wanted them educated, they wanted them to know. And the early institutions, Harvard, Yale, places like that, they had theological schools and they were basically set up because of one reason. They wanted the Christians to grow and to have knowledge and the ultimate objective was to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, that's what the university was all about. And folks, let me tell you, as far as God's concerned, that's never changed. If you're a Christian, your ultimate objective ought to be to see that the gospel reaches to the ends of the earth. You just don't, you may happen to major in English, but I hope before God that's not the only reason you're at the university. And I want to say this to you. If your number one priority while you're in the University of Oklahoma is your studies, you've got problems from day one, folks. You're going to have serious problems the rest of your life. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You ought to study 
and you ought to study hard, but your study should not be your number one priority when you're in school. Because if they are, when you graduate, you'll transfer those priorities from studying to your job, and God never intended that your number one priority in life be your job. Your number one priority in life ought to be your personal relationship with God, and as a result of that, you may study 40 hours a week, and probably most of you ought to. I mean, perish the thought, but you probably ought to. Now, it's not to say that studying is not important. It's just to say it shouldn't be number one. Because God doesn't suddenly want you to change your priorities all around just because you happen to be at a university. If you're a Christian, that ought to always be your number one priority, is your own personal relationship to God. And so if that's true, that means that you need to make some time for some things. What's it going to take for you to develop your personal relationship to God? Well, for many of you, you ought to be in a Bible study. For many of you, you ought to be in Vespers on Thursday night, just like you had a class. I don't think there's anybody here got any better thing to do from 9 to 12 on Sunday than being in Sunday school and church. I mean, isn't that an old, archaic thought? I just don't think you've got anything better to do than do that. Because let me tell you, you're not going to get to this university on a Sunday school knowledge of the Bible. Most of you got here, even though if you spent 17 or 18 years in a church, you got here, folks, and I guarantee you, you won't make it through the first semester on what you've already learned. Now, those things are important. But you're going to have to continue to add to your Christian knowledge or you're going to come to the point where someday you set it aside and the reason you do is because you think it's not adequate. You come to the point where you don't really believe it anymore. And it's not that Christianity is wrong. It's got more answers than anything else. It's just the fact that you've not grown in that area of your life and yet you're growing in all these other areas of learning and yet you're not growing in your Christian knowledge and your faith. So as a result of the day comes and you lay across, aside the Christian faith that you had because you think it's not valid. And that's not true at all. It's because you've not grown in that area. Now, I believe in knowledge and I think you ought to study hard. But I, I, I think you should not take as truth things that the Bible says are not true. And that means that you're going to always have to evaluate what you're hearing in light of what does the Word of God say. Because let me tell you, I don't care who says it, I don't care how many PhDs he has, if he says it and it doesn't, and it doesn't agree with the Word of God, who's wrong? Whoever said it. I don't care who said it. I say it. Anybody else? If it doesn't agree with the Bible, the Bible, God has not changed his mind. Somebody else is wrong. Now, there's something else you're going to see that people build their lives on apart from knowledge at the university. And there are going to be some that are going to try to build their lives on riches and pleasures. And Jeremiah knew that. He said that in Jeremiah 9.23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the rich man glory in his riches. And you're going to find people that are going to make, while they're here at the University of Oklahoma, if they can get a degree, they're going to like that. But uh, meantime, they're out here to have a blast. And they're here to have some fun. Now, <clears throat> the Bible has something very, very clearly to say about that too. In Luke chapter 12, I want to read you a passage. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 15. Jesus tells a story about a man 
And this man uh, had some uh, land. And in Luke 12, 16, he said, He told him a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones and then I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man, now listen to this, so is a man who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Now here was a man that was very, very rich. He had plenty. He gave no thought to his soul. And God said one day, he says, you fool, this day your soul is going to be required of you. He said, now that's exactly the way it is with a man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, it's amazing the number of parables Jesus told that in some ways had to do with riches. In Luke 16, he says, And there was a certain rich man which was clothed with purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And here's a picture. Rich man had everything he could want. Poor man laying at his gate just trying to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And even the dog came and licked the sores of this old beggar. But notice this. The rich man died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Now, I wanted to say something to you. There can be a false security in riches, pleasures, having fun, taking up the time, thinking everything's going great now. Because the day came in which his riches would not keep him from eternal separation from God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this either. As I said, God is for knowledge. God is also for us having those things that we need. First Timothy 6 says God's given us richly all things to enjoy. God wants you to have some money. He wants you to have some pleasure. But over in Ecclesiastes 1, you also find where here was a man. He said, I, I just decided I'd give myself to these things. He said, I had land. He had ponds. He had barns. He had cattle. He had everything you could imagine as riches in those days. And he said, finally, I came to see that it was all futile. Someday I'm going to die and I'm going to leave this. And then whose will these things be? Now, let me tell you, don't set your heart on pleasures you need to have some fun, you need some money, but don't build your life on those things because they will not last. Now, the scriptures go on to tell a number of other things that we can do. One is might. Jeremiah said, let not the mighty man glory in his might. I mean, it may be your physical strength, it may be the popularity you have, it may be uh, a number of other things, but these are not things you build your life on. Now remember, there's only one foundation which a man can lay. And whoever you are here tonight, if you've never come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, if you do not know him in a personal way, you do not have a foundation that will stand. 
there's only one foundation. And in Acts 4.12, the early apostle said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one way for men to know God. Now, lest that bother some of you, some people think, well, what about people that haven't had the chance to hear and, and all of that? And, and See, the problem is we mistake the cure for the disease. Jesus is not the disease. Men are separated from God because they rebel against the light which they've had from God. If you're here tonight and you've never come to know Jesus Christ, you are where you are because you've rebelled against the light which you've had from God. You might say, well, I don't know very much. Well, maybe you don't. But it is not God's fault that you're where you are. You cannot blame God for that. If you do not know God, it is not God's fault. Now, maybe you've never had someone to explain it for, to you, and that's fine. But I want you to know, it's kind of like here's a man down in a pit. Now, Jesus didn't push him there. Or it's like here's a man that has a certain disease. There's only one known cure. Once a person has a disease of sin, there's only one known cure, and that's Jesus. And so we go and hold forth the cure. Now, some people get mad and say, well, you can't say that. What about all these other ways? And what about this? And what about... <clears throat> but if there's only one cure, do you get mad at the doctor who comes and says, here is a cure? And you say, no, I don't want that cure. I think there ought to be six others. Well, then just go and die in your own little disease in peace. <laughs> because there is no other cure. And you can search the Bible and you don't find one ounce of hope in anything else other than once a man has a disease, which he has because of his own choice, once he has that disease, there's only one known cure and that's Jesus. So he's down in the well, we throw him the rope and he doesn't just look at the rope and say, I don't like that rope. You know, it's made out of cotton and I want it to be made out of nylon. Well, if you want to get out of the well, latch on to it. Now, folks, that may sound hard, but I want to tell you, there's only one foundation that's worthy of your life. There's only one foundation that will hold up the house of your life, and that is Jesus Christ. And I would highly encourage you before you leave tonight that you, if you've never done that, you make a commitment of your life to him. Now, I want you to notice what he goes on to say. We start out in 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to go back there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, No foundation can a man lay other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of false foundations, but they will not hold up. Now, I want to I leave uh, saying something. I've, I've said something to those of you that, and maybe there's some of you here, you don't really know where you stand. I know when I was a freshman in college, the honest truth was sometimes I didn't know where I stood. I thought I was a Christian. I joined a church. I'd been baptized at one time. But I remember one time walking out on the drill field one night, and I said, God, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. And some of you right here tonight, you're in exactly that place. You don't really know where you stand. But let me tell you, you don't have to stay there. If you're willing to make a commitment of your life to the Lord, you can say, God, maybe I was saved when I was nine, when I was baptized, when I joined the church. But right now, I'm not sure. And I want to be sure. As best I know how I give my life to you. And you can do that. And I'd encourage you to do that. Now, notice what he goes on to say. 
the next verse. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation, now once a person becomes a Christian, he's got the foundation of Jesus Christ. And there are many of you here tonight, you already have that foundation. The day came in which you committed your life to Christ. But now, here's a word for you. Paul says, if any man builds upon this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stone, each man's work will become known, become evident, for the day will make it clear. For that day is to be ushered in with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of every man's work. And here's basically what he says. Those of you, you already have the foundation of Jesus Christ. He says, now you better be careful how you build upon that foundation. You know Jesus Christ, but be careful how you build. Now, Paul happens to be talking about how you, to the Christians, about building into the lives of others. But this also applies to you. You better be careful what you build on this foundation of Jesus Christ. If you build with gold, silver, precious stone, and this is symbolic language speaking of building on the things of the Spirit. If you build the things into your life, the good things, Prayer, Bible study, fellowshipping with other Christians, learning to be a witness, the character qualities that, that are needed. If you build these things, they will last. And that's compared to gold, silver, and precious stone. If you build the works of the flesh, if you begin to, to do things that are not honoring to the Lord, contrary to what the Word of God teaches, the Bible says that these are works of wood, hay, and stubble. And you know what happens when the fire comes and you touch it to wood, hay, and stubble? It's burned up. And there are many, many Christians that come to this campus every year. They spend four years, and during the time they're here, they're building wood, hay, and stubble into their lives. Now, don't kid yourself. The day will come in which that will become very, very clear. That may not be clear to your roommate, may not be clear to others, but I will promise you that the day will come in which you'll stand before God and those things that were built into your life that were not of the Spirit, they will be gone. Now the Bible goes on to say these people, if any man's works will be burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be, he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. This man was a Christian, he's saved because the foundation is sure. But the building in which he built upon that foundation will not last. Now, young people, let me encourage you while you're here, build the things into your life that will last. And I wish I could convince you tonight that the Christian life is the very best life there is. Nobody in this earth, and I promise you, nobody on this campus this year is going to have more fun than the committed Christians. I mean, they really will not. Now, there may be times it seems like they are, but over the long haul, folks, those who walk with God have a very, very enjoyable life. You know, I have uh, lived longer than most of you, about twice as long, or three times, somewhere in there, as most of you. And you know, to me, life is a joy. I mean, it's so fun to go to bed at night, get a good night's sleep, wake up the next morning and not have a headache. I mean, that is a blast. <laughs> and it is so fun to be able to go places and do things. And life is enjoyable. I like to live. And because years ago in college, I made some decisions. Now, that doesn't mean that I've always lived exactly as I ought to live. It doesn't mean 
that I don't have some problems from time to time, but I made some decisions back in college. The very first week I was in school, I remember one night a boy coming by my room and asking me to go to the BSU. And I thought, well, you know, I'd like to do that. I'd been over there one time before for a party, and I kind of liked it, so I went with him. I asked my roommate to go. He said, no, I've got to study. And so I went to the BSU meeting. I came home. He was still in the bull session with the same fellows he was talking to when I left. He hadn't cracked a book. You know, I got to thinking. And I watched around. I mean, I learned this the first week. I began to see the way most of the fellows did. And I thought, you know, I can go to BSU. And I can still have as much time to study as they do. You know, I promise you, when you walked out of the dorm night, there were some kids goofing around. When you get back, that's what they're still going to be doing. I mean, they really will be. And so I started making some decisions. I'll go to BSU because I think it'll help me. And so I went. And I went. I may have three exams the next day, but I went. And I didn't miss. I mean, unless something unusual happened, I didn't miss for four years because I thought it would help me. Made the same decision concerning church. I can remember a number of times in my college career and since, many times since, coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, maybe coming in from a retreat or getting some home somewhere, but 9.30 on Sunday morning is never a debate about what I'll do. If I get in at 3 o'clock, I think I'd just have a short nap before Sunday school. <laughs> but it's never a possibility that I'll miss. You might say, well, isn't that legalistic? No, it's not legalistic. It's just that I've found that some things are important and I'm willing to pay a price for them. Now, while you're in school, it can be the greatest time in your life. And just to think, this is, for some of you, the very first week of school for you, of university. Others of you, maybe you're junior or senior, but it's still the first, first week of this year. And at times like this, it can be a new beginning for you. And I would, in, I would encourage you to make some decisions, to do some things that you, you've been wanting to do, that you know you should do. Now, God has some tremendous things in store for you. If you will determine that you're going to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and you're going to learn, you're going to have fun, you're going to do a lot of other things, but you're going to build on this foundation. And those of you that are Christians, for some of you, first of all, those of you who are not Christians, you've got to lay the foundation. Now, I don't care whatever else you try in life, you remember, you may try it for years, but you're going to come to the end and find that the foundation was not sure because the very God who made you said there is one foundation. He did everything he could possibly do for you to discover that foundation. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, if it had been any other way, he would not have allowed his son to die. And if there's any other way you could be saved, then Jesus Christ died in vain. But there's no other way. No other way. Now, once you know him, you've got a choice. What are you going to build into your life? Are you going to build in the things of the Spirit? Are you going to take time to study the Bible as you're studying the other disciplines and see how you can learn things and how they fit with the Bible and where they don't, you discard those things? Are you going to struggle with your faith? Are you going to learn while you're here, where you're surrounded by people your own age, how to really make disciples because most of you if you don't learn it here you'll probably never learn it but if you're here as a result of your time here some of you are freshmen by the time you're seniors there are many students who could be walking with God as a result of your life and I want you to know 
that our faith is built on facts. Our faith is built on knowledge. And our faith is built on that which really did happen. Students, almost 2,000 years ago, there was a man who walked along the shore of Galilee and his name was Jesus. Now, someone didn't make up that story. That really happened. He really was crucified and died for your sins. And incidentally, after he arose, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said over 500 people saw him at one time. 500 people saw him. At the time he wrote this, he said, if you don't believe it, basically you can go ask him. Most of them are still alive and remain, he said. That's true. Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. Now, you're going to run into some people that don't believe that. Now, either they're wrong or we're wrong. Now, the Bible says that happened. And you know why the Bible says that happened? Because it happened. See, some people think the Bible said it, that makes it true. No, it was true before the Bible ever said it. And the reason the Bible's true is because those things really happened. And you can stake your life on it. Now, give your life to knowing Him. You know who the real wise person is? You know what Proverbs 9.10 says? The fear of the Lord, that is a beginning of, of wisdom. You want to be wise? The fear of the Lord, that is a beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So you set your heart to really know God, the universe in which he's, He has put you, gain all the knowledge you can, but make sure it fits with what God has told you is true. And young people, if you'll do that, you are laying a foundation for the future of your life. You already have the foundation of Jesus Christ, but the day's going to come, you're going to have a happy marriage. There's many, many of you here tonight, you're from broken homes. You know why? Because somewhere, some people violated covenants. Now, that doesn't happen to happen, have to happen to you. And if you're determined before God, you're going to become the person God wants you to be and grow like He wants you to be and wait on Him, that won't happen to you. It doesn't have to happen to you at all. And the great things you want in life, all of those things are exactly what Jesus Christ died for. He wanted you to be happily married. He wanted you to have a happy home. Someday He wants you to have a job. He wants you to have influence. He wants to provide all those things you most want. And that's what He desires for you, if you'll trust Him. Now let's bow our head together. Now will you take just a moment with your heads bowed. Let me ask you a question. If you're here tonight and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, will you ask Him now? Maybe there's some of you and you don't feel like you can do that. You're not ready to do that. And that's fine. But let me encourage you to keep coming to Vespers and Bible study and church. If I were to say to you, I want you to learn about chemistry, and you say, well, I'm just going to sit out here under a tree till I figure out if it's true. That's not the way you learn about chemistry. Go get in a chemistry course, and eventually you'll learn some things about chemistry. You want to learn about God, you stay available. Stay where God's being talked about, where people who know Him talk about Him. But some of you here right tonight, you could ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Would you do that? 
Some of you, if you're not sure, just ask the Lord. Lord, I'm not sure, but I know one thing. I want to be a Christian. If I, if you've already saved me, thank you. But if you haven't, I want to get it straight. Others of you here tonight, you're a Christian. You know that. You don't have any doubt about that. But will you make a commitment of your life to the Lord and say, God, this semester, I really want to be what you want me to be. I'm willing to pay a price because there's a price to pay to grow and to learn and to be involved in those things you ought to do. Will you tell God that you'll follow Him, that you'll pay the price to become the person He wants you to be and the witness He wants you to be on this campus? Now, with your heads bowed still, I want to read one final passage to you. And I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus said. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7 Jesus says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew And it burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. And I pray that as these students go back to study now, that you'd give them a real ability to learn and to concentrate because they've given some of their time tonight to come and learn about you. God, I pray that you might bless them and watch over them and keep them. And oh, Father, that during their time here at OU, they would really learn to walk with you because we've prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.